This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week, we've got an all-star panel. We're going to talk about the financial and business impact of the COVID-19 uh, talking with cleaning, restoration, and building science professionals from around the country. We've got Ed Cross, the restoration lawyer, calling in from California. We've got Andy Osk from down in Florida, uh, HVAC consultant and uh, um, building science expert. We've got Rick Sims, HVAC contractor down in the Florida area. We've got the restoration industry's global watchdog, Pete Consigli. And we expect John Donnie on fairly soon. I don't think I left anybody out there, but uh, looking forward to a great show. And before we get started, the reason we're able to do the show free is our sponsors. So let's thank them for just a moment. IAQ Radio Association sponsors are the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. Learn more at acgih.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute. Learn more at cirscience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association. Learn more at iaqa.org. And the Restoration Industry Association. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. IAQ Radio Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Learn more at aemlinc.com. Particles Plus. Learn more at particlesplus.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine. Subscriptions available at healthyindoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Clayton Scholl, All Flooring Inspection, British Columbia, Canada, who was first to identify maple hardwood as the flooring material which dominates indoor sports flooring in the United States. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday, March 27th, 2020, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's IQ Radio trivia question. Name the genus to which COVID-19 coronavirus, SARS coronavirus 2 belongs. Back to you, Joe. Thanks, Cliff. All right, let's, let's get a little quick intro for, of our guest. Ed Cross is the restoration lawyer. He's the president of, of law offices of Edward H. Cross & Associates in Palm Desert, California. He has represented over 100 restoration contractors in over 20 states in collection disputes, standard of care issues, mold claims, and he successfully resolved over 2,000 claims. John Donnie, who will be joining us shortly, is a fourth-generation carpet cleaner and a veteran of more than 40 years in the industry. He is the executive director of the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. Welcome back, Andy Osk. Andrew Osk is a consulting engineer in Cape Coral, Florida. He specializes in diagnosing, remediating, and retrofitting existing HVAC systems, Andy is also an IAQA past president and a 2018 inductee into the IAQA Hall of Fame. And last but not least, Richard Rick Sims. Uh, Rick is a uh, the owner of Johnson's Air Conditioning, a Florida State certified mechanical contractor. Johnson's is the oldest air conditioning service company based in Naples, serving the needs of homeowners and businesses in Southwest Florida since 1960. Welcome, gentlemen. All right, let's start with Ed Cross, the restoration lawyer, Ed. Um, first, if you could give us a little little idea, Ed, you, you deal on the front lines of the contract issues with the people out there trying to do restoration and cleaning. I wonder um, if you could just first tell us has your phone been ringing off the hook? How busy are you? Are you getting a lot of questions from restoration people on how to handle their contracts with respect to COVID-19? Yeah, the phone is ringing off the hook. Um, 
six or seven days a week, we're getting between 35 and 45 calls from restorers all over the country with questions about liability issues and insurance and how to put together their contracts. Interesting. Uh, what, you know, contractually, a lot of our listeners are in the restoration world and they have their work authorizations they use for water damage or for mold. Um, is it appropriate, do you think, to use the same work authorization when responding to coronavirus-related issues? You know, there's a lot of unique issues that are presented by these types of projects that people need to keep in mind. The traditional work authorization says that the contractor is going to return the property to its pre-loss condition. That's a little bit risky when you're talking about something like coronavirus, particularly if you're not relying on any testing to confirm what you're doing or the result of it. And so what I put into my contracts is that the customer is buying a process rather than a result. It's kind of similar to what a pest control operator uh, provides. They're not guaranteeing they're going to get all the ants out of my backyard. I'm paying them to um, apply the pesticide. And recently, RIA uh, came out with a document uh, explaining that one way to describe this work is uh, to call it cleaning and application of disinfectant. Application of disinfectant is different from actually disinfecting. We're going to do our best with the products that we have to, uh, to try to mitigate the transmission of the virus. Uh, but the contract should describe the process that is uh, going to be employed and the products that are going to be used and that the contractor is using a good faith effort to try to mitigate the transmission of the virus. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Okay, um, I, I still don't get what's so different about it that we have all these new legal risks. Um, and I think that the biggest concern to me is that the clients receive little or nothing uh, in return of ongoing benefit. And, uh, you know, you can snap your fingers. The first person that went in there and sneezed, or, or you know, this, there's no residual uh, prevention. And, you know, my big concern is you look on the internet and you see all these people taking advantage of the situation, you know, selling uh, hand sanitizers and safety equipment and hand wipes and so on and so forth at exorbitant prices. And, you know, I think one of my concerns is that I think a lot of restoration companies uh, are overdoing it in terms of using uh, the most expensive, most sophisticated uh, technology for dealing with an organism that's not necessarily hard to kill. As far as the testing goes, uh, there is no testing for this, Ed. So, I don't, you know, I just, I don't know. If you could comment on that, I'd appreciate it. Sure, I'd be happy to. So first off, as to uh, the comment that there's no residual benefit, you know what, Cliff? That is the fault of the virus. It's not the fault of the restoration contractor. I don't personally think that companies who are selling hand sanitizers are, uh, are taking advantage, um, you know, merely by trying to sell products to eradicate this. If they are uh, charging exorbitant prices, then they are taking advantage. Uh, but we're doing our best with uh, the, the limitations we have in the science. And, you know, restorers are on the front line. They are the ones in the vital role of trying to mitigate uh, this harm. And we don't get enough attention in, uh, in the public media and from our government leaders about the important role uh, that restorers have. And, um, you know, when you put together a contract, I think you should consider disclosing to the customer that there may be lesser expensive alternatives to doing this work. Like, for example, if it's possible to just close it up and walk away and uh, leave the building closed so as to allow the virus to inactivate, um, that's uh, a factor that the customer should take into account. But, but don't forget that there are public relations issues here. There are employee morale issues. 
that that it behooves these companies, whether they're renting cars or trying to rent out uh, hotel rooms, to give their their public um, uh, a comfort level that they're doing their best, given the limitations of the science, to try to uh, control this and. Although there isn't testing, there are some companies that are using ATP testing to uh, reflect whether or not uh, a, a surface is clean, with the concept being if you have removed the bacteria and the fungi from a surface, you can't selectively clean for that without um, moving, removing viruses in the same process. So companies, I think, um, should try to be as transparent as possible about what they are offering and what they can do and, and what the limitations are, and then let the, the owners of the building make a business decision based on the totality of their circumstances as to what's best for them. Okay. I mean, my only concern is, you know, the ATP thing, it's really apples and oranges. And, you know, the fact that one thing, you know, that one organism is gone. And, you know, I, I agree with source removal. However, if it's airborne and dust settles 30 seconds later, you know, you can still have, uh, you know, viral particles, you know, that, that, that had, you know, that had settled. But right. in any event, um, you know, it's, it's an alternative. And I think some people want to have uh, you know, want to feel good about it. Well, they'd rather do something rather than nothing. Right. Yeah. And, and I believe that they are physically removing uh, these viruses from the environments. And I believe that they are uh, inactivating them. Are they going to get a hundred percent of it? Probably not. Uh, but something's better than nothing. Right. Well, the question is, is it really there in the first place? I guess. Well, um, you know, the customer needs to make that decision for themselves. I don't think that burden is on the restoration contract. Understood. I agree. If the customer requests the service, um, you know, then, then that's their decision. I don't think that's a fault of a restorer. Ed, there's a lot of buildings out there that have deferred maintenance for many, many years. And people are asking, at least contractors I know, to come in and just fog some magical foo-foo juice that's going to kill all the all the bugs in their building, even though their building's a filthy mess. Um, how do you advise contractors when they run into that situation? I think they need to do a lot of cleaning, and uh, most importantly, they need to work closely with a qualified industrial hygienist or environmental consultant to help them with their own internal quality control procedures, but then also have the owner hire an independent environmental consultant to outline the protocol. And the contractor follows the protocol uh, developed by the owner's industrial hygienist and the owner takes responsibilities for any errors or omissions made by that industrial hygienist. It's like a pharmacist filling a prescription. If the pharmacist correctly fills the prescription, but the doctor prescribed the wrong drug, that's not the pharmacist's fault. And I think restorers are in a similar position to pharmacists and um, the doctor writes a prescription in the way that a hygienist would write a protocol to apply disinfectant in a building. How do you see, what is the legal liability for these contractors? Is a building owner or let's say uh, someone re-enters the building, they develop this disease, they're exposed, but we don't necessarily know where the exposure came from. It could have come from their home. Um, what kind of liabilities do contractors have if they don't cover themselves properly with, with contract documents and using a third party and things of that nature? You know, obviously there's liability exposure. There's going to be a whole hurricane of lawsuits that come out of this, Joe. So that's a very good question. But I'll tell you the evolution of this for me over the past couple of weeks, uh, the more I think about this and the more I see the news about the transmission and the spread of this disease around the world, the more I'm feeling that um, the liability exposure is actually less than people are perceiving because of the point you just mentioned, which is that it's going to be so unbelievably difficult to try to prove that some given illness occurred as a result of an exposure in one particular location. Um, you know, this 
pretty soon the coronavirus is going to be ubiquitous if it's not already. And somebody could be in complete isolation and self-quarantine, but then I suppose they could receive mail or a delivery from Amazon that could have the virus on it. And, and if you're right, Cliff, that there isn't any testing for this, then that, that's, a, that's a double-edged sword because then they're not going to have any testing to prove that an environment was contaminated in order to make a plaintiff's claim for for an illness issue. So um, I think that uh, I think we're actually going to see fewer uh, coronavirus illness claims than people are actually anticipating because you can get it all over the place. And, it, and it's contagious. Mold-related illnesses are not contagious. And, you know, it's a pretty Mold high... Claims, we point to one specific environment. We got a, we've got test results that show stachybotrys or aspergillus versicolor in a given uh, location, but, but you don't have that uh, with the coronavirus because the stuff is spread all over. You know, some pretty high-profile people have been infected. I heard on the news that uh, the Prime Minister of the UK... Uh, is infected and that, uh, you know, he was feeling ill and he actually had a couple of meetings yesterday with other government leaders and, and so on and so forth. You know, from a legal aspect, if, do you think that if, do you think people could actually sue one another because someone was infectious and, uh, you know, someone else got infected by that? By that person. Yeah, you know, Cliff, uh, yeah, they can file a lawsuit. The courthouse is open until five o'clock and anybody can show up there and file papers if they want to. Um, but I think it's, it's going to be very difficult, again, to uh, pinpoint one particular uh, exposure as the cause of it. You know, it's not like asbestos. Asbestosis is only caused by asbestos. And asbestos is only in a limited number of locations. And so, you know, if you've got face-to-face contact with somebody who has uh, the condition and then you come down with it, yeah, that's an indicator that, that it might be likely that you got it there, but is the, is the prime minister negligent? Is there liability there? He didn't know that he had it. And so uh, we, we're quick to assume in this country that just because somebody suffers harm as a result of what somebody else does, that automatically you're going to have to pay money for that. And with this, I don't think uh, the risk is as big as people are anticipating. What about with restoration companies who send workers out uh, to do this work uh, and one of the workers, you know, gets infected, one of the workers gets sick, uh, you know, maybe it progresses to the point that, uh, that there's a fatality. What would happen in that particular case? Are you advising well, restorers to do anything special with the workers? Yeah, yeah. Part of this relates to uh, workers' compensation laws. So as a general rule, uh, workers' compensation is an exclusive remedy for work-related injuries or illnesses. If an employer is caught um, actively or fraudulently concealing a condition that exacerbates somebody's illness, then there can be civil liability for that outside of the workers' comp context. I'm not a workers' compensation expert. But all of this, this running theme that I have here is about uh, transparency and disclosure. Thank you. Let me, um, I want to ask you one more question, then I want to talk a little bit more about business interruption and some of the issues we're going to talk to Andy and Rick about. But um, I'm not an attorney, but the way I see this, there's going to be more legal actions over payments over people feeling they got ripped off doing this type of work um, and, and more contractual related legal issues than anything else. Now, I could be very wrong. Please tell me if I am. And if, if, if I'm correct, what are you doing for your customers to help protect them from that? Well, um, I've developed a, uh, a set of contracts that outlines a bunch of different um, issues that I think contractors should uh, think about. I think uh, when they're putting together a contract for this sort of thing, they wanna specify the work areas where they're doing the work and disclaim liability for any conditions that are outside that work area. I think they need to warn the customers in writing of the danger of the transmission of the virus and the effects of the virus and the nature of cross-contamination. 
um, just because uh, a worker picks up uh, the virus and takes it from one location to another, somebody gets sick, uh, again, doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be liability there. I think a contractor needs to give some thought as to security of the work area while the work is taking place. So you're in there, you're trying to control the environment, and what if somebody comes in and sneezes all over your work? Are you going to charge for recleaning? Are you going to start over? Who's going to be responsible for that security? I think there needs to be some fair uh, releases and some indemnity provisions in there where the contractor gets indemnified for um, uh, illnesses or claims that result when the virus has been reintroduced to the property after the work has already done, been done. And this will go into a force majeure clause, which outlines that the contractor shouldn't be uh, responsible for conditions outside of his control. I think the contract should have a time limit on the claims so that um, it's, it's shorter than the ordinary statute of limitations. And, um, you know, like I mentioned before, uh, to disclose to the customer that there may be less costly alternatives, have really good training uh, for your people. Don't jump into this work uh, without doing it thoughtfully and carefully. Consider getting 40-hour ASWAPR training. Make sure that your liability insurance policy explicitly covers viruses and, and work with local counsel and an industrial hygienist to prepare your protocol and your contracts. Excellent. Ed. Thank you. That, that's very helpful. Let's, uh, John, if you could bring hey, John Bounty on here, I'd like to kind hey, of. Joe. Go, hey, go Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Pete. Well, hold on before you bring John on. Uh, Ed, I got, I got a question for you that um, deals with liability from, with, from, the, with, from the employer's perspective. And I know you're not an you know you're not an expert on the workman's comp stuff, but I've always felt that the if an employee uh, the, the the person an employee is the most likely likely person a company to, to sue a business owner, even more so than a customer. That's been my experience over the years with a lot of contractors. Now, here here's an issue which I see, and I don't know if it's being addressed in the industry. A lot of employers don't always look at how they they rank the services that they provide with their workman's comp carrier because it's going to affect the rate that they pay. Mm -hmm. They do this with liability too. There were a lot of issues that dated back to the early 2000s where guys were putting that they did anthrax on some line item in the early days of the internet. And these yeah. were huge issues. All right. So let's say this work of out there doing surface cleaning and dealing with these viruses now, which in fact may not be any more risky than cleaning from influenza, some of the points the clip brought up, but you have this, this global hysteria around it. So what kind of responsibility do, do the owner of the companies have to disclose that, pay appropriate workman's comp so that if their workers do, do get sick, that the workman's comp would cover that and then they wouldn't put themselves in in the liability situation. I mean, then talk about that. And, you know, if I'm totally off track, tell me so we'll move on to Mr. Downey. Yeah. So uh, again, the general rule is that workers' compensation insurance is the exclusive remedy. I think it's very important for contractors to get with their workers' comp carrier as well as their liability insurance carrier to go ahead and disclose that their workers are involved in this type of work and there is a risk of this type of uh, an exposure. Keep in mind, it's very important when you're filling out an insurance application to disclose the different types of work that you're doing so that can be taken into calculation during the underwriting process. I see some contractors now seeking liability insurance by sending in an application where they just just check a box that they're doing water damage restoration. That's not enough. Some of them have a box for bio recovery or biohazard, some of these different kinds of categories. If it's not disclosed to the carrier, you're probably not going to have insurance coverage for that. Again, it's back to the whole concept of, uh, of transparency. The transparency, transparency goes to the insurance carriers as well. And I recommend that everybody get together with a local labor lawyer 
who specializes in employment law, who can talk about the types of disclosures. Yes, I think they should get paid more uh, to do the work. I think there should be um, some sort of document where um, they've got a record in the file that they've uh, disclosed to the employees the types of risks uh, that they're going to be dealing with. And, and that all is part of the training. It's obvious these, these people know that. Yeah. So, Ed, let me just, Ed, let me make one final quick comment. I agree with that, but I think what happens is, I think there's two things. First of all, the owners do not check all the boxes and they'll get themselves in trouble. I mean, years ago, residential sewage was a very high risk item that guys were totally unaware of if there was an issue. But there's, it's a moving target. So, a lot of times, guys jump into this work not realizing, well, should we have put that down when we first instituted the policy? And I guess the message is it still gets back to the owners. They have to manage their own risks. So anyway, thanks, thanks for your thoughts Great. on it. Yeah, good point, Pete. Thank you. And there is no checkbox for COVID-19 or coronavirus at this point, I guess. Uh, so, and I think, Ed, another key point you brought up is the training, that you have to train and document the training of your employees on what they're going to do. And, and it doesn't have to be – I don't think terribly long or, you know, uh, in, involved. They, most of these guys already have training on proper cleaning and disinfecting techniques, but they, I, I think you would agree, they should have something in the file saying that they were trained on and um, warned about what they're getting into. Joe, you're a trainer. What do you think is a sufficient training program for workers who are coming in to apply disinfectant to mitigate the transmission of the coronavirus? You know, I pass that over to Cliff. <laughs> Made service. I'm not Say that again. Made service. <laughs> Made service. Okay. I mean, wow. think about. I mean, think about it. I mean, the people that are cleaning up, you know, the rooms in the hotels. You know, there are people that are in those hotels that have colds, that may have the flu, that may have COVID nineteen, and. Right. Uh, you know, it's, our guys aren't going in in spacesuits. I don't know why they would need 40-hour Hazwopper uh, training. You know, this is custodial cleaning. You know, they're not wearing crazy PPE. You know, they're wearing, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, they're going to wear gloves. Uh, and if they're going to wear some sort of uh, respiratory protection, it's probably more uh, against the... Uh, product that they're misting in the air or applying overhead but cliff that's the state of the practice not the state of the art what do you mean the state of the the practice that's what people are doing out there that doesn't make it okay they are they are risking the transmission and the spread of the virus if they're doing it that way without ppe and just winging it it's tough to even get the PPE, though, unfortunately. This is a tough situation for our right, contractors. IAQ Radio Industry sponsors are Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. For technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation, visit them at Wolfsense.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at siriscience.org. That's C-I-R-I-Science.org. 
ACGIH, advancing the careers of professionals working in the environmental health, industrial hygiene, and safety communities. Interested in defining their science at ACGIH.org. Uh, let's bring up Mr. Downey, Mr. Sims, and Mr. Oski in here and, and talk a little bit about some of the issues that have come up with respect to to uh conferences and training events and cancellations and postponements and all that stuff. I think uh, let's start with John Donnie. I think we've got you on the line. I know we appreciate you being here, John, because you are in the middle of converting what was an in-person one-day event into a online one-day event with a whole bunch of people attending it to learn more about this issue. And I'm wondering if you could talk to listeners a little bit about some of the, uh, some of the pitfalls that you've, uh, you found along the way. Huh. Thank you, Joe. Uh, <laughs> boy, you just opened up Pandora's box. So let me see if I can uh, pull anything out of it. Um, well, honestly for Siri, um, I would, I don't know. The pitfalls is that, that we're, scrambling to do something and we've had to change what we were doing three times now in the past uh, probably two to three weeks. Uh, We started with a um, um, in-person conference in Cincinnati symposium, a one-day symposium on March 31st. Um, When Corona was starting to become, get talked about and concerns were starting to ramp up, we opted to add a a live stream component of the uh, symposium. And and I know that you've got a a lot, there's a lot of us here, so I'll I'll try and be brief in telling you that where that came into play was actually uh, Jim Harris, who is the chairman of Siri, um, he was having a conversation with his son, and he told his son he wanted to have 50 people from their company uh, attend the symposium. Uh, hmm. And the, it's a large company, Janitronics in Albany, New York. But his son, I won't get into the more colorful language, said, Are you out of your mind? And dad, then said, of course, I'm not out of my mind. We need to learn this stuff because uh, COVID-19 and pandemic preparedness were a significant part of it. Well, that wasn't the whole thing at that point. Uh, anyway, they went back and forth. And then uh, uh, Junior said, why don't you just do a live stream? Why don't you just do it online? And Senior scratched his head and said, well, I don't really know. We've never done anything like that. So he went to me and and uh, talked to me about it. And then I started talking to some experts and we decided to add that as a component to it. And we brought, we were gonna bring in video equipment and, and um, um, you know, expand the scope of it by people that were not gonna be traveling. Of course, shortly thereafter, um, basically Cincinnati got closed down and the uh, symposium, the live symposium was eliminated. We had no choice. We, we, had, no, we had to uh, eliminate that. So then we switched to, rather than, we we're going to still have the presenters come in. Cincinnati was not closed down at that point. We we're gonna have the presenters come in to a studio and we would do a live together symposium with all the presenters in the studio in Cincinnati, because they were already scheduled to come in. Um, and then we we're told that that the city, um, basically travel or ba- businesses in the city had to close down, including the uh, studio who actually called us and told us ahead of time, he thought they were gonna, you know, he was concerned that they would not be able to uh, uh, hold us. And he was afraid that they would shut them down like right before uh, we were gonna do it. So we changed from that to what we're now doing, which is a uh, full uh, webinar. Everybody is in remote locations. Um, I was late coming on uh, because I was doing a training for GoToWebinar. Um, 
prior, and I've been feverishly working to try and uh, master that art. Now, fortunately, the symposium is, it has the response to the online live stream symposium has been well beyond um, our most optimistic projections. Um, we're probably going to have at least 20 times as many people attending uh, it through the live stream as um, uh, would have attended in person. Um, we are, we have switched it from a uh, symposium that the morning was going to be about uh, COVID and, and um, pandemics, and then the afternoon was going to be on uh, disinfection and cleaning measurement, uh, which are related, but they're a little bit different. And uh, just in the last few days, another thing that we've changed is we, we switched that, and now it's going to be entirely focused on uh, COVID-19 and uh, pandemic preparedness. So, and that's where the demand is. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of heard uh, as I'm listening in, you know, I, I, my sense is that um, uh, Cliff is a little bit of a skeptic about whether we're, we are, uh, and, and, and honestly, I am too, about whether, you know, we're, maybe we're overreacting to some of this. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, that the people in the field um, are, first of all, they're feeling it in their businesses, uh, but they're getting demand because, and that demand is being passed through the chain. Uh, and and Siri is, you know, I guess in this sense, you know, we're we're to some extent we're profiting by others' misery. But to what Ed was talking about, what Siri can do and will do, and I think I, I know we were we will do it really well, is we will provide objective scientific data uh, by people that are. Most of most of the people that are be speaking are PhDs uh, and uh, similar uh, scientists, um, but they all have a lot of experience in the industry, and and that was what was critical for Siri is that we, you know, if we just brought a bunch of academics in who have done uh, lab research and they talk about things in clinical in a clinical way, uh, it will go so far over our. Uh, attendees heads that you know it, it it will be a waste of their time and but these guys do know um you know they do know the industry they do know uh the challenges they've been in the field working with contractors and John, what, i'm just curious where where do you see wh who's signing up what categories of people you got you know you've got a big carpet cleaning group you've got restoration guys you've got um uh, consulting types is that what you're finding the, the types of people that are signing up janitorial companies it's a it's a it's a mix um but i would say the strongest area actually i know the strongest area is uh, and 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 several organizations including iaqa bscai uh, iicrc issa um, have uh, promoted the symposium uh, to their uh, email list. And the, uh, by far, by, by a huge differential, the people that, the biggest number of people signing up are from uh, the IICRC eblast that went out. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and IICRC would be, you know, strongest as, Obviously, restoration contractors, disaster restoration guys, but also professional carpet cleaners. Anecdotally, I can tell you a lot of, and, and I own a carpet cleaning business. I are a carpet cleaner. Uh, our business is, our carpet cleaning business is dead in the water. So the mm -hmm. carpet cleaning people uh, are are interested in this, I think, because they they need to be able to find a way to continue their business and meet customer demand. Uh, during a time when regular carpet, I think once this is over, they're going to be more busy than they've ever been. We're going to be more busy than we've ever been. But um, interestingly, and a little bit surprisingly, uh, the group that has, pr 
probably been least represented or is least represented in the signups has been the, in the Jansan world. Uh, and it may not be that Jansan isn't interested. It may be that there's been so much more stuff put out there, so much more in the way of webinars and, and, and trainings and things like that. Not all of them, probably shouldn't say this on something that's being recorded, but not all of them the highest quality. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but, you know, th there's been a lot that has already been done, and that may be a part of it. Uh, okay. Let me, uh, I'd like to move on to, uh, I want to talk a little bit about another event that was supposed to happen. Actually, this past week from March 24th to the 26th in Bonita Springs, Florida, was to be the rollout of the inaugural Andy Osk Spring Building Science Symposium known as Spring Training Camp. But due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Spring Training Organizing Committee had no choice a couple of weeks ago but to cancel the event. Today we've got Rick and Andy on to talk a little bit about the, the business and financial impact on that. Let's, let's start with Andy. Um, Andy Osk, great to have you. IAQA past president, Hall of Famer. Uh, always good to see you and talk to you. Um, this was going to be a big event. You had a lot of people interested, ready to sign up. And, and as I understand it, maybe I'm wrong, Florida is still allowing business to go on, or are they down to just essential business? Well, first of all, Joe, hi. Thanks for having me. It's really good to, good to talk to you. I haven't seen much of you the last few years. Um, well, canceling the event was a big disappointment to me. I've got my name on it, and uh, it's it's over 20 years since we started holding this as a one-day one event in South Coast, Florida. It's a building science event. So, yeah, I, I'm disappointed, but um, it, it's much more important that we let people stay home and, 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 and not get sick. Um, we want to, want to talk about the, the business and the, the management decisions, the financial aspects. Why, why, why don't you switch over to Rick and come back to me and see if you got, see if we got a technical, technical question for me. That sounds good. Rick, what, uh, first of all, where is Florida right now? Is, uh, you've got a HVAC contracting company. Uh, are you allowed to go out and do work? Um, is are you considered an essential business? Yeah, we're, we've been watching that for a, a week or so. We have, uh, I'm president of FRAC, the State Air Conditioning Association. And so our lobbyist is following it. That's not really as big an issue. Uh, air conditioning contractors and mechanical contractors, we have lots of employees. I just attended your uh, IAQ event in Deerfield Beach, and one of the things I noted more of the people in IAQ and mold assessment is tends to be smaller companies. So we're dealing with large numbers of people. But back to the important thing, the Andy Osk event, uh, it's not canceled. It's postponed till next year. But uh, that's the type of event that uh, was never going to be a, a, sympo a symposium online or anything like that. Uh, that's just not what that event is. It's actually two events. Uh, one event is the Andy Osk Building Science Symposium that like Andy said, we've been doing that for 20 years. That's how we introduced Southwest Florida to Dr. Joe. But uh, uh, when it comes to uh, building science summer camp, uh, that's a way to uh, get to see uh, Pete, get to see Chris Van Wright, get to see all of our friends from uh, building science summer camp. And we hope to see them in August. And uh, there's just no way to taste the, uh, the food virtually. And that was a big part of it. Uh, we want to have Dave Mason play guitar for us. Uh, we want to have uh, Miguel then uh, all the guys from summer camp. So it's not, uh, that was not something we wanted to do in another format. So we just decided uh, to uh, put uh, Mitsubishi and train our um, symposium sponsors and ultra air our uh, uh, summer camp party sponsor. Uh, we're just keeping them on board till next year. So we hope the next time we get to see our friends is up in Westford, Mass. Uh, but unfortunately, we're just not going to be able to host them down here this year. Rick, how's this affecting your business? Uh, it will affect businesses like mine more than uh, one-man companies. Uh, the, there's 25 employees here. Uh, the industry, you know, the, the state troopers are not going to pull you over and stop you from going where you're going. 
I even have a theory that they don't want to pull me over for speed. And I'll let you know if that if that's wrong. <laughs> but if I start sneezing as I'm rolling down the window, I'm you know wondering, does he want my driver's license and registration? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's not that kind of thing. What it is is that our uh, industry in Southwest Florida is wealthy old Americans and wealthy old people from all over the world. Uh, they're locked up in the condos with good reason. We don't want to hurt them. Uh, I, I'm after Andy Ost, uh, who may be a little bit older than me, to stay at home. Uh, Andy, to, Andy has a hard time doing that, but uh, that's the thing that's choking it down. You don't have to worry about what the governor signed or you know anybody's stopping you from running service. They're not going to make anybody go without air conditioning, and they're not going to allow a clogged drain to flood the place. They're going to allow the service company. That's not what it's about. It's about we, we don't need all these people. We, we've canceled all the maintenance. We were doing maintenance, you know, right on through the next month. That's, there's no reason to do maintenance. It's not worth the risk. Okay. Andy, let, let me get a technical question in for you. Um, obviously, a part of the potential exposure for this virus is airborne and you deal a lot with mechanical systems. Um, I know a lot of your work is moisture control as well, but uh, mechanical systems, making sure people have good filtration and um, appropriately, appropriately sized mechanical systems and so forth. What kind of tips would you give people now with respect to their um, air in their buildings or in their homes, what kind of things are you, would you recommend they do during a, a situation like this? You're going to increase ventilation. Um, how, you, how are you, how are you advising your clients? Okay. Well, I think the, um, the first and, and most important thing for me to tell to my clients is I don't know. I have no idea what this virus is, how it works. It's a public health issue. So I think that's, that's the first thing they, they need to know that I don't know. Um, having said that, I tell them what I always tell them, keep things warm, keep things dry. It turns out we're having a very warm and a rather dry spring here in Florida. Um, I'm sure the people who live in cold weather will be happy to hear, uh, that I've been in my pool every day now for about two weeks. I turned the heater off. <laughs> uh, so I'm telling people, turn off the air conditioning, open the windows, get plenty of fresh air, go out and sit in the sun, take a chance on a little, a little UV. Um, I, I, I don't think we have mechanical solutions for this right now. Well said. That's important. All right. Let me, Pete, I want you to jump in here and ask the next question. Then throw it out to whoever you want. Well, um, I caught I, I you think, by surprise. <laughs> yeah, it caught me by surprise. I, I it's think very that, to find Pete without something to say. Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting watching things evolve in the national news now that uh, you know, over the last couple of days, it's moved from a public health issue to an economic issue. And we yeah. saw this a week or two ago is why we planned this show, because I think that a lot of people, they think they don't always think of it in the context of how it affects not only their own businesses, but the businesses in their local communities. You know, John said the carpet cleaning's dead, et cetera. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's just, the different states are different. Uh, the, the ISSA, you know, Jeff Cross sent an email out to a little group that I had put together. Ed was in it. A number of you on this call were in it the other day. And I shared what was going on in Florida in Broward County. And um, Broward County has listed specific language. that says fire and water restoration contractors are considered essential service. Now, almost everyone who's on this call is involved in REA, the IACRC, IQA, NATCA, et cetera. And there were letters that were sent out in, imploring members to contact the local, which can be very difficult to get by the gatekeepers. And so what's happened is it's a lot easier to get to the local county commissioners in the cities because they, are much, they have a much closer feel to their local citizens. Miami in particular now has gone into curfew. It just was last night. Now, now we're finding out what's happening with New Orleans because of the Mardi Gras, because nobody knew what a threat it was. So 
you know, even though many more people are killed through influenza and, you know, Trump said the other day, well, 40,000 people get killed by auto accidents. Does that mean we're going to stop driving? So I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings. I'm not as hard ass as Cliff is on this, you know, but I, I often wonder, have we overreacted um, when you look at the numbers? But, you know, you listen to Governor Cuomo every day who's on the news and the way they're stacked up and they're, they're building morgues out in the streets and the, the, where I grew up, you know, it's kind of scary. And uh, I don't know, Joe, that I got a question. I, I guess maybe we start the roundup, but it seems to me that just the whole idea of being more careful about hygiene, washing our hands, distancing, all those kinds of things. This is kind of stuff that a lot of us have been doing for years and we should do anyway. And maybe now we'll just be a little bit more care about it. Um, you know, hopefully a lot of good information will come out, you know, from John's program next week. And, uh, you know, listen, listen, to the, listen to everyone there, what they have to share. Uh, so I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't really, uh, um, I, don't, I don't really know really what else to say. I think yeah exactly I think everybody just shared their viewpoints and I've got know. one text question I'll, I'll throw it out to the panel but um, I think we'll start with the roundup John all right I got a, a text question I see a couple people are, are answering jumping in. Uh, what do you see as an appropriate clearance or successful work completion method? I think, Cliff, why don't we start with you, and then, then I'd like to go to Ed Cross. Well, I, I put a couple of things out there. I think, number one, uh, minimum, minimum of an absence of dust on, on horizontal surfaces. Uh, I think high touch points, you know, telephones, uh, computers, cell phones, keys, desks. Uh, you know, things that are highly touched and touched by, by multiple people. And the one thing that really surprises me is that there's some very effective old technologies that no one's even thinking about, uh, which are the use of air sanitizers. Uh, uh, dilutions of propylene glycol, uh, low dilutions, somewhere around 6% mixed with water fogged in the air, have been highly effective, have been proven to reduce... Uh, airborne bacteria uh, have been proven to eliminate uh, flu viruses and so on and so forth. And I think at minimum, uh, that should be done. And it's cheap and it's easy and, you know, it's not that complicated. And instead, you know, a lot of people are running around with elephant guns and, uh, you know, PPE that needs to protect them against the elephant guns. So I think... Uh, Detail cleaning is important, but I don't know that, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of training is, is really needed because you just need to be sure that these people are going to, you know, clean the surfaces and uh, follow the instructions. And, you know, I think rubber gloves or nitro gloves is important. And again, I'm not against some sort of uh, dust mask, uh, you know, to, to protect them, but mostly it's against the dust. Well, and I think, you know, you bring up a good point with with the uh, treatment of the air in that, you know, a lot of it's going to remove dust in general. You're going to drop that dust to the ground where it can be more easily cleaned up. That's what we've been recommending to people. Uh, and then, of course, the cleaning of the high touch point areas. Ed, I want to jump over to you for final thoughts and or comments on what you're recommending uh, that your your customers do with respect to final clearance. Right. So I have some clients who are working with some pretty competent industrial hygienists who believe that ATP is a reliable method for uh, confirming that effective cleaning was done. I'm not going to voice an opinion on that because I'm not a scientist, but from my perspective as a lawyer, in terms of the success of the project, have we achieved what we've contractually obligated ourselves to do? So in that case, success would be determined by 
uh, adequate completion of the protocol. And the contract should incorporate a protocol prepared by a third party with exclusions outlined for anything you don't want to do uh, that's part of that protocol. And provided you have performed that process and done it in a good and workmanlike manner, in a good faith effort to try to mitigate the transmission of the disease, and you've got documentation to show that you were actually doing the work in a good faith effort to mitigate the transmission, then you've got evidence to show that you completed your contractual obligations. How do we do that? Well, video is a great way to do it. I have some guys who are talking about putting technicians in body cams, all right? But all the different types of photographic evidence that we we use on a, on a water job or a mold job should be implemented here to show, look, we did the work that's set out in our scope of work. That's success in terms of the contract. And if, 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 if I may, if I may respond, okay, let's talk about ATP again. Okay. What ATP measures, okay, is living organisms. Okay. Viruses do not have ATP in them. Uh, what ATP is going to give you when you put that swab inside the luminometer is a number. And what that number is, you're going to have some sort of clearance. So there's 10 or there's 15. Okay, it's not zero. If, AP, if ATP was showing zero, I think I would agree with you that there's nothing there. When you get this reading of 6 or 10 or 12, we don't know what the 6 or 10 or 12 is. So right. that, that's, that, that's my concern with it. And they can test these viruses on surfaces, but I think it costs a couple hundred bucks and it takes a couple of weeks. So, Well, then they know, should that's... do that kind of testing. If that testing is available, then they should do it. Ed, let me, let me ask you something. If you're recommending a third party on these projects and, and a lot of building owners don't want to pay that third party to develop a scope of work or protocol, as you mentioned, um, what do you advise your, your clients to do then? I think it's good to have a, a check the box option in a coronavirus service contract where you are selecting either the option that the owner is going to engage uh, an environmental consultant to prepare the protocol, or in the alternative, check the box to indicate that the owner has declined that recommendation uh, from the contractor and is going to assume the risk of any loss or damage or uh, issues with the condition of the property that results from that refusal and get a release of liability uh, of, of the contractor uh, for those types of losses. So it's the, the, the burden of that should go on to the owner if the owner is rejecting that recommendation. Okay. Thank you, Ed. Very, very much appreciate you joining us today. I want to jump over to Mr. Donnie. John, any final thoughts or comments? If we still have John. Yes, we do. Unmute him, please. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I had muted myself. Um, Real quick about the question of uh, clearance. There is no clearance for, you can't do a clearance for uh, COVID-19. Uh, they, they just, it doesn't exist at this time. Uh, but you can, and, and you can, and I think it really speaks to what Ed was saying and also to somewhat to what Cliff is saying. You can basically uh, clean effectively and then, you, and you can use ATP as as an example. And I think that's one of the things that will be discussed at the symposium as a indicator of cleaning effectiveness. Uh, does it will it prove that you got uh, COVID nineteen eliminated that? No, it, it's not going to do that. Uh, but it will tell you whether the uh, uh, the cleaning uh, procedures that were uh, initiated were effective with in a workman shot workmanship, workmanlike manner. Um, and related to the, uh, um, the issue of cleaning, and, and I guess this is the one thing that, you know, I've come to appreciate more and more with Siri is um, just because we're going through the process of cleaning, just because we have a piece, a, a, a microfiber cloth and we're applying it to a surface and we're rubbing that surface 
that does not necessarily mean we're cleaning effectively. And, and so the, the real problem that we have, and it, it is where I, Cliff, I, I disagree a little bit with you, uh, although I, I, I think I, uh, I understand where you're coming from, but there is just, there is an awful lot of uh, cleaning workers doing processes ineffectively that do not actually clean. And that's really what the cleaning industry is going to have to do as it relates to this. Uh, they're going to have to clean. And, and where we need to step up our game is in utilizing proper cleaning processes. And, um, and that's where I think there's an opportunity for the people to do training. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's opportunity for the cleaning companies uh, to really step up. If we step up our game, our industry can look good. We can be, to some extent, the first responders today. And um, I, I want us to be viewed as good first responders, not uh, charlatans. Uh, well, that's well said, Don, and I think it's an important point. Let me jump over to Rick. Uh, Rick, I'm curious with respect to your event, um, were you able to work something out with the hotel and the, or the convention center, wherever you were planning on doing this? Um, did they work with you on any refunds or not charging you for a book of rooms? We are uh, very happy with the vendors. Uh, they're uh, not the, the hotels are one thing. Uh, that's pretty much what they're doing with everyone right now. But the event center staff, uh, which has lost all of their income uh, from rock bands, from you name it, everything's canceled. That's their business. Uh, they were fantastic. We feel sorry for them. So, you know, we're keeping our deposits. Uh, we're not uh, pulling out of this. We're just moving it to 2021 and uh, staying isolated till then and, and keeping all of our uh, sponsors and speakers and guests, trying to keep them safe. Rick, we'll definitely be covering 2021. We appreciate you joining us. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to meet. I haven't got a chance to meet in person, but I look forward to that sometime. All righty. Pete. You know, the, the one thing I want to say is, and uh, Ed brought this up and Cliff brought this up early in the show, we need to, the restoration contractors need to concentrate when they deal with customers on the process, not the end result. But that's something we've been doing for years, Ed. We, we, we never say we're going to disinfect the surface. I mean, we're going to apply an EPA-registered product. If, if you tell somebody you're going to clean something, it's very subjective. Marty King taught us that years ago. Don't say I'm going to clean the wall. Say we're going to wash the wall in preparation to paint. So I think we need to be careful. I've been noticing the term that's been used uh, with some of these letters that went out is we're doing surface cleaning. And so I think it's real important that we follow that language. But I don't think that's anything different than we've been doing for years. So just stick to the basics, a good sound foundational cleaning, good hygiene, good engineering controls. And uh, I think, I think we'll be okay. Good communication with the customer, uh, you know, under promise over deliver all that stuff. I got one final question. Can you put, bring Downey back up there on the, uh, on the screen? See if we still have him. Yeah, he's still there. He's smiling. Bring him back up. I I have a question for Downey. (laughs) What do you want, Consigli? Yeah. What's that sign behind you? You got your head in the way. There's a sign behind you. What does that sign say? Right behind you there. <laughs> what's, the, what's the deal with that sign? In wine, there is wisdom. and In water, there is bacteria. Well, you know, that was... Uh, now tell me, who gave me that sign? Well, did, well, I actually got one of those signs from Lou Harriman several years ago at the WLS class. He bought it at some at some little uh, little little place up in uh, Portland, Maine. And I, I got a bunch of them and I sent some to John. I told him to give them to all of his guys on his SAC committee. I'm so happy you have it on your desk. And then I sent a bunch to, to our buddy, Ron Mazer from AML. I told him to give them to his lab director and some of his best customers. And I, I was gonna, Andy, I had a whole bunch of them. I was gonna give them to Steebrook and all the guys at summer camp, but I, I mean, at, the, at spring training, but I'll have to wait until summer camp, and I, I'm gonna have a bunch of those signs. So I'm helping the local economy in uh, in Portland, Maine, because this little guy owns a store called uh, Pandemonium, and he has all kind of great little signs with bacon and chocolate, and 
really unique idea. It's, it's uh, cute. Anyway, so John, thanks. I, I'm, I'm very impressed you had the sign back there. Anyway, uh, great job, everyone. I appreciate you all calling in. I know you're all busy, and I think the information will be very valuable. I'm looking forward to the Z-Man's blog because he always captures the pearls. Back to you, Joe. Okay, and Ed, Ed, I wanted to make sure I give you a chance to have a final thought. Yeah, I just wanted to leave uh, people with some additional resources to turn. If you go to restorationindustry.org, that's the RIA website right there on the homepage. You'll see lots of resources regarding COVID-19. RIA has really stepped up on this on a bunch of different levels. It has collaborated with IICRC to create some very informative documents. It has sent out letters to uh, government authorities and agencies regarding restores being essential services. Um, it has put out a number of, um, of helpful webinars. There's another industry briefing coming up. I want to encourage everybody to attend. Uh, that's going to be next Thursday, April 2nd. Thursday, April 2nd, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, RIA COVID-19 Industry Briefing. And then the big virtual conference for RIA April 16th. That's online, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, the RIA Virtual Conference. That's April 16th. Check out restorationindustry.org for updates as they're coming. Thank you all very much for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you, Ed, for bringing that up. I know we, we've actually gotten more local people listening in, some of the, the local uh, government people and, and around the world, and, and I think uh, that was a great way to leave them with some resources they may not be aware of on the RIA, restorationindustry.org website. So this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much to this week's guest. We had Ed Cross, the restoration lawyer, Andy Osk, Rick Sims, John Donny, the executive director of Siri, Pete Consigli, thank you so much for your help in pulling this show together. My co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, and very importantly, at the controls, John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners, we're going back to, we're going to alternate. So we're going to do a week of um, coronavirus type shows, and then we're going to go back to our standard shows. So next week is the return of the moisture mob. Uh, I believe we've got Howard Brinkman on. We're going to talk about wood flooring and flooring issues, moisture issues and flooring. So come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.